The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word. Mark 1, 9 through 15. In those days, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. A single person is doing good this morning, so hopefully some of us will... We'll catch up here soon. Beautiful day that God has given us. I'm one very thankful for just the um, what seems to be abnormally um, cooler weather for uh, mid to late August in central Illinois. But I'm just really thankful that you're here worshiping with us this morning through song. And now what we're going to do is turn our attention to worshiping um, Christ this morning through the preaching um, of His Word. It's a privilege and an honor to be able to preach to you for the past two um, Sundays, you've heard from um, two other pastors who have done an excellent job of preaching the Word to you. Um, and so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to start up a new sermon series. It's going to be a little short three-week sermon series. It's going to run us up to Labor Day weekend, and the name of this sermon series is going to be The Whole Gospel. So if you look up there, that is our graphic. Where's Miss Jan Cheshire at? There she is. We're going to brag on Jan Cheshire. If you see that little collage picture that's inside there, that was created by the one and only Jan Cheshire. So um, good job. Good work there. And then Connor Dudley actually grabbed it and did all the other mojo that he does by sticking it in a graphic and plopping text on there. So... And Charles Campbell is the one who actually did the graphic lettering. So just cool that you have very gifted and creative um, people in here. And some of that's going to actually play into our sermon um, this morning. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Or if you want to translate that, it's going to be called this, the good news of the kingdom. So let's pray and then we'll get at it, okay? Christ, you are the king. And this morning, we're here to humbly bow our hearts and to bow our minds before you, the King of kings. As we turn our attention to ultimately these two verses, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where you show up proclaiming the gospel of God, my prayer is that you, Father, would be magnified for the preaching of your word. More importantly, I pray that you would be magnified through the hearts of men and women stirred by the realities of the good news of the kingdom so that as we leave this place, we would leave as ambassadors for Christ, heralds who would go out proclaiming that we can have life with God under the rule of God all because of what God has done for us in Christ. God, do these things by your great power and for the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So what we need to do is just set up our sermon series here. So do we have any golfers? Okay, one, like, okay, three people who have gone golfing. Has anyone watched golf before? Okay, a couple more, a couple more hands, right? So here are the basic elements of what golfing, um, what you need to golf, right? You need your club, then what you need is your golf ball, and then you need your tee. And so in order for us to be able to drive the ball, so to speak, this morning, um, to be able to take out our club, grab the golf ball, and drive it down the fairway, what we first need to do is set up the tee. Um, and so this is what we're going to do right now. Set up the tee. Set up the reason why it is why we're going to take our time and focus our attention on this little three-week sermon series called The Whole Gospel. And really what we're going to do today and over the next two weeks is our topics are going to revolve around this question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? The word gospel is used a lot in evangelical churches. And a lot of times we can bring our own definition or bear our own meaning on it, or we'll read a certain scripture in the Bible and we'll slap our own definition on it, or what we'll do is we'll focus in on a particular aspect of the gospel. So it's just good for us to ask the question, what is the gospel? Now, the word gospel by itself just simply means this. It just means good news. If you wanted to translate the word gospel, it would translate like this, good news. That's what good news is. It's the gospel. The gospel is good news. And for the most part, Christians around the world, do they just have no problem with agreeing with this idea? In this way, we all walk the same path. If you were to ask a Christian here, ask a Christian in South America, Europe, Asia, wherever it is, like, is, is the gospel this idea of good news? We would agree. We would say, yes, it's this idea of good news. But where paths separate is when we ask someone to define the content of this good news. So if we were to take 10 people, sit them down, and ask them the question, what is the gospel? Fill in the content of this good news for me. To take those 10 people, sit them down, and ask them that question, what is the gospel? This would be a surefire way to get 10 different answers. In answer to the question, what is the gospel, someone might say this, well, the God is the gospel. God himself, he is the good news that we need. And someone else might come along and go, well, no, that's, that's good. Yes, God is the gospel, but right, there's other major religions of the world, and they use that word God to describe the deity they worship. And so what we need to do is narrow it down a little bit more. We need to get more specific to the one who we find worthy of all worship, worthy of all praise, and it's Christ. And so someone might say, well, what is the gospel? Well, Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. His life his death on the cross, his resurrection, this is the content of what the good news is about. And some others might sum it up like this, like, well, man, that's good, but what we need to do is systematize it a little bit more. We need to, to think about it in these four parts. Yes, we need to have a category for God, how he's holy and he's sinless and and, and he can have nothing to do with sin, and we need to have a category for man, how man is not holy, man is not sinless, and because he is sinful, he's separated from God, then we need to have a category for Christ, and how Christ is the one who reconciles man to God and God to man, and then we need to have this idea wrapped up in the gospel of a response, and so they might use this terminology of God, man, Christ, response. This is the way we talk about the gospel. And then others might just come along and go, no, 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 like when you read your Bible, go to the Gospels, go to the, New, to the New Testament. And they might take up the language of kingdom, right? You go to the 
to the book of Matthew. Matthew records Jesus talking a lot about the gospel of the kingdom. And so others might say, well, no, what we need to do is we need to focus in on some of the more the Pauline letters, the letters that was, were written by the Apostle Paul, where a lot of the language of the cross comes up. We need to talk about the gospel of the cross. That's how we define the gospel. And others go, no, the gospel is all about grace. It's grace. It's not cross. It's not kingdom. And now, one way or the other, all of these answers are correct. You see these threads being woven back and forth throughout the Bible, but in another way, all of these aspects or these very specific ways of thinking about the gospel are reductions of the gospel. What these various answers show us is that when it comes to understanding the gospel, we have the tendency to lean a certain way when we're trying to think about, define, and understand the gospel. And I think it just simply stems from this. Like We recognize that the gospel is simple, but we also fully recognize that the gospel is not simplistic. Do you see the difference there? We recognize that the gospel is simple. We could bring in my four-year-old. We can bring, this is why we teach the little ones downstairs, the little ones that are in the nest right now, zero to three, three years old. We, we don't refrain from putting the gospel in front of them. The gospel is simple. It can be grasped by little children. But in the same aspect, we also understand that the gospel is just not simplistic. It is multifaceted. It is robust. It is this grand reality which takes a lifetime to, for Christians to wrap their minds around, right? None of us are here, if we are honest with ourselves, and say, man, like, I fully understand. I've sunk my roots deep down in the gospel. There's no other avenue, no other riches, no other uh, uh, crook or corner of the gospel I need to discover. I've discovered it all. None of us would say that. So it's simple, but yet it's not simplistic. And unfortunately, what we tend to do when we bump into something that is robust, and when we bump into something that is grand, that is just bigger than we can wrap our minds around, what we often do is we minimize it in order to be able to manage it. And when it comes to the gospel, unfortunately, we often do this very thing. We see the grandeur of the gospel. We read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We see how the gospel was spread through the disciples in the book of Acts. We see how the gospel was maturing disciples through the epistles. We see where the gospel is going to take us in the book of Revelation. And what we recognize is this thing is big. It is robust. It is grand. It is good. But in order to make it manageable... Because we see the grandeur of the gospel, what we often do is we just shrink it down to one aspect. And what we tend to do is we focus in on one aspect of the gospel to the neglect of the other aspects of the gospel. So we read our Bible, we see people talking about the kingdom, and then what we say is this, the only way to think about the gospel is by thinking about it in kingdom terms, to the neglect of the other, the other ways the Bible talks about the gospel. Or we see the Bible talking about the cross, and you stand up and you start picking fights with your friends going, no, man, no, the gospel is the way. Justification, life, death, resurrection, the cross, this is the way to think about the gospel. You kingdom people, you grace people, you know, take your seat. The cross is the way to go do And then other of us who are more, more prone towards this idea of grace, this undeserved 
favor we get from God, all because of what Christ has done for us. That rings true, that resonates with our heart. And so what we say is, no, grace is the way to think about the gospel. But the case I'm just simply going to make over the next three weeks is this, is that the gospel is just not simply a kingdom message only. The good news that we can have life with God all because of what he's done for us in Christ. It's not just a cross message only, and it's not just a grace message only. It's actually all three wrapped into one. So this is why we're going to take three weeks to talk about the Gospels. And my hope is this, is that as we seek to mature as disciples, for all of us who are believers right now in this room, in one aspect or another, you have tasted and you have seen that the Lord is good. You have tasted the beauty of the fruit of the gospel rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. Now, what we do not do is we don't take the gospel and we just shove it on the corner and go, man, the gospel is good for salvation, but the gospel is good for nothing else in the life of the Christian. You do not see that in the scriptures. What you see is that the gospel is what brings us into a relationship with the Father rooted and grounded in Christ. And then what we do is we day in and day out live our lives. We live our lives rooted and grounded in the good news of Christ, the gospel of Jesus itself. And so it's just good for us to take three weeks and to go, okay, we've sort of got um, our seed is on the soil. Now what we're going to do of the soil, the gospel. So now what we're going to do is we're going to start sinking our roots deep down into the gospel so that we can nourish ourselves and find sustenance in Jesus over these next three weeks as we seek to mature in the gospel. The gospel is a holistic sort of thing. It is kingdom. It is cross. It is grace. It is beautiful, it is complete, and it is a coherent unity. And so that's where we're going over the next couple of weeks, okay? So back to the golfing illustration, right? We took the little tee and we just stuck it in the ground. So now what we're going to do is we're going to take our ball and we're going to grab our club and seek to drive, drive this good news message down the fairway, okay? And so what we're first going to do, <coughs> excuse me, what we're first going to do <coughs> is we're going to turn to Mark chapter 1, okay? Turn to Mark chapter 1. And here what we're going to do is we're going to catch a glimpse of Jesus talking about the gospel of the kingdom. Hey, Connor, brother, can you just go put a little bit more water in there for me, brother? Thanks, man. So turn to Mark chapter 1 and float your eyes down to verses 14 and 15, okay? Here, Jesus is specifically going to pick up the language of gospel, he's going to pick up the language of kingdom, and he's going to weave them together, all right? Now, in a nutshell, what we're going to see is this, like if you just had to define, like what is the gospel of the kingdom, what is the good news of the kingdom, it is this, the good news of the kingdom is that life with God under the rule of God is available to all who would turn from the rebellion and trust in King Jesus, The good news of the kingdom is this, is that it is possible to have life with God right now. Life with God is not some future-oriented event. It is something that we can taste and experience right now in the presence. We can know the good news that life with God is attainable right now. Under the good and right rule of God right now, it's available to sinners who would turn from their rebellion 
who would turn from their allegiance and their alliance with Satan and his dark kingdom and turn to King Jesus and his good news kingdom. This is, in a nutshell, the good news of the kingdom. So look what Mark writes, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. He says this, Now after John, this is John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee... And he was proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, this is the content in a nutshell of what Jesus was saying, recorded by Mark. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, because these realities are true, your response to the gospel of God is to repent and believe in the gospel. So when you look at verse 14... What you get is the gospel of God is proclaimed. When we focus our attention on verse 14, we see Jesus coming to Galilee and he's proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel of God. And because Jesus' message is concerned with the good news of God, it is by necessity something that must be proclaimed. The gospel of God is not to be shushed. It's not something to be quietly put into a corner, something to be ignored like the little child that's sort of being rambunctious. So, you know, okay, little Johnny, now you just go over into the corner. I just need you to be quiet. Try not to be too loud. That's not what we do with the gospel. The gospel is something that is meant to be proclaimed, something that is meant to be heralded, something that is meant to be preached and talked about. It is something so good that it demands to be spoken. Now, in Jesus' day, a gospel was an important announcement related to a king. The word gospel was actually used in the Roman Empire, and the way it was used was as a message, a way to describe a message that would describe something good that was happening with Caesar, right? So if Caesar conquered a land, they would issue a gospel, a good news message. If Caesar, a new Caesar took the throne and there was a lot of pomp and ceremony going, parties going on, we would issue a gospel out and say, listen, Caesar, we have a new Caesar on the throne. This is reason to celebrate. Or if there was just a reason for um, any kind of celebration to take place, a good news message would go throughout the kingdom. So for the men and women of Jesus' day, the very word gospel had kingdom implications. There was something directly tied to the way the Roman Empire operated in light of this word. So when Mark records Jesus showing up in Galilee, Jesus steps onto the scene proclaiming the gospel of God, Ultimately, this is a picture of Jesus making an announcement that strikes at the heart of all other kingdoms. It is no accident, no accident at all, that the writers of the New Testament use the word gospel when talking about the kingdom of God. The gospel of God is a declaration that there is a new kingdom where life with God is available under the rule of Jesus, our new king. In essence, when Jesus comes out of the wilderness after being tempted and does not succumb to the temptations of Satan himself. When he comes into Galilee, Jesus is rolling into the city center of his day where Roman Empire and Roman occupation would be seen everywhere. And when Jesus comes out and begins his earthly ministry and says, listen, I am proclaiming to you the gospel of God, what he's saying is this, listen, you think you know what kingdom is about. You think you know what empire is about. You think you know what rule is about because of Caesar, but he's like, you've got nothing. 
No category for the good, benevolent, right, righteous, awesome rule of Yahweh, of God the Father Himself. These kingdoms, you know, they all, they all pale in comparison to the kingdom of God. Now, the fact is this. The world is full of kingdoms. The world is full of kingdoms. It's full of personal kingdoms, and it's full of earthly kingdoms. If you want to think about it like this, a personal kingdom, like what is a kingdom? A kingdom is ultimately a place where we exert our will on others, right? Where the king or the person in charge says, I want this to happen. He says it, and it gets done. And so there's a sense in which we all ex- exist in our own individual personal kingdoms where we as individual people, we seek to exert our will over creation and over others. So for instance, Jan had an idea. That thing didn't just manifest itself out of, out of, out of nowhere, right? She had an idea and, and Jan's own little personal kingdom, she said, I have this idea and I'm going to take this paper, I'm going to take this glue and I'm going to take these colors and I'm going to take this medium and I'm going to exert my will upon created things in order to create this new thing. And so in one sense, and when you think about just creation, the way um, Emily does photos, the way Darren takes photos, the way some of you design and build and all these things, that's just us exhibiting our will, exerting our will in our own little personal kingdoms and the creative side of things. And the personal relationship side of things, we do this all the time. The way bosses relate to workers, the way workers relate to workers, the way neighbors relate to neighbors, the way husbands relate to wives, the way parents relate to children. We have a will. I want this to get done. So I look at my child and I say, my own little personal kingdom, I am the king of the house. I am the king of my home. I want you, sir, to go and clean your room. And so I exert my will upon my child. So we experience that over and over again, this idea of personal kingdoms. There's also this idea of earthly kingdoms, and this isn't hard to imagine what they are. It's just the governments of the world, corporations, rulers, dictators, politicians. They're all seeking to exert their own individual wills, but in a corporate manner, of the earthly kingdoms of the world. Now, when you read the Bible, the intention is that personal and earthly kingdoms would exist for one reason, to bring glory to God. One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This idea of personal kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, it fits right into that category. But unfortunately, sin's corruption has infiltrated these kingdoms and uses them as agents of war, uses them to destroy, not to build up, uses them for bickering and infighting, personal conflict and brokenness, all of us have been on the receiving end of this in some way, way, shape, or form. Sin and its evil effects infiltrating and corrupting the hearts of men, the hearts of women, so that these personal kingdoms and earthly kingdoms no longer exist for the glory of God, but they actually exist for the glory of self. And the Bible says when we see these personal and earthly kingdoms working and existing in this way, it's just not merely these things alone. Right? I was talking with some others the other day, and it's this idea, like, for whatever reason, I gave this caveat. I think it was at community group the other night. This might be the worst illustration ever, but for some reason in my mind, I've just been seeing this a lot, and it's this idea of fractions. Like, right? The top was the numerator and the bottom is the denominator, nerd alert, right? I should have given the nerd alert warning here for all of us who hated math. But like if you remember what fractions are, numerator, denominator, 
when we exist in this world and we bump into things, that, that variable, that numerator changes. All of us have different personal kingdoms. All of us bump into earthly kingdoms in different ways. All of us have been burned by the evil effects of sin in different, different ways. But the common denominator that exists behind the evil that we've all experienced and witnessed and seen in personal and earthly kingdoms actually comes from a kingdom that is ruling and controlling all of these other kingdoms. So whether it's personal or earthly kingdoms, the common denominator behind all the kingdoms of the world, the Bible says, is actually the dark kingdom of Satan itself. The Apostle Paul describes Satan as the ruler of this dark kingdom. He's the prince of the power of the air. And he talks about the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers which preside over this present darkness. Satan and his dark kingdom is the kingdom which is hell-bent on spreading lies, spreading disease, spreading death, spreading destruction. No matter personal, no matter earthly kingdom, doesn't matter. The common denominator is Satan seeking to exert his sinful, hellish will upon the kingdoms of the world. And so as we survey the broken landscape of personal and earthly kingdoms, what we're witnessing is the ultimate conflict that exists between the dark kingdom of Satan and the good news kingdom of Jesus Christ. And when we witness these two kingdoms in conflict, what this does is it stirs up within us a hope for something better. A hope for a better king. It stirs up within us a desire to see someone who can step into the brokenness, step into the destruction of this world, one who can come and destroy the effect of Satan's dark kingdom and usher in the kingdom of God. I mean, just think about it. The shootings that have been going on in our country. The refugee crisis that we see throughout the world. I'm sure you guys have seen the same little picture that I've seen of that little boy sitting in that ambulance in Syria, which is a snapshot picture of just some of the most hellish, damnable events that are just Satan ruling and corrupting and breaking and destroying overseas. I mean, you look at that, and like if you're alive, like if you actually check your pulse just to see if you're alive, you see pictures like that, and there's just something that stirs the heart to go, man, I want somebody who can fix that. I see that and I see sin's effects manifest in front of me and the way this little boy is experiencing something that he ought not to be experiencing. And we see the effects of Satan's dark kingdom all around us. And what it should do is stir within us to go, Lord Jesus, come. I want somebody who can step into the mix and fix the brokenness, fix the sin, fix the death, fix the disease, fix the destruction. And so when we turn to verse 15 in Mark chapter 1, this is exactly where Jesus goes. When Jesus shows up in Galilee, when he shows up in the midst of Satan's dark kingdom, comes in and says, listen, I'm going to proclaim to you a message. It's the gospel of God itself. And this is the content of my message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus says these things, when he proclaims these words in the beginning of verse 15, in proclaiming the gospel of God, Jesus is essentially saying this. He is pointing to himself and saying that with the start of his earthly ministry, he is the one who's going to get this done. 
He is the king is going to speak and exert his good, holy, righteous will in a world that is broken, sin-filled, full of disease. And he is the one who is going to push back the darkness. And he is the one who is going to restore all that sin is broken. He is the one who is coming and is going to say, The time has come for God to be your king. So when you turn to verse 15, Jesus is just making a gospel announcement. or He's making a kingdom announcement. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Listen, Jesus' earthly ministry is a vivid, vivid image of the kingdom invading. Jesus is the king, and he is the one who holds all authority in heaven and on earth. This is what we see throughout the rest of Mark's book. We're not going to be in Mark. We're going to be in two different places when we do the next two weeks um, in our sermon series. But if you just go on starting in verse 16 of chapter 1 and you read through through the end of chapter 2, what you see is Jesus doing some miraculous things. So when you read throughout the rest of Mark's books, there's a lot of miracles that Mark records for us. And I think it's for this reason. When you see Jesus healing the sick, when you see Jesus casting out demons, when you see Jesus cleansing lepers, all of this is a direct assault on Satan's kingdom. Jesus is showing, I am the one who has authority in heaven and on earth. I am the one who speaks and things happen. I am the one who can look at the leper and say, be healed. I am the one who can walk on water. Nature submits to me. I do not submit to nature. Creation is sustained by me. I do not submit to creation. He is the king. He is the one who has all authority. All power sits with him. And what we're meant to see when Jesus steps on the scene saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, is that Satan, sin, and death, they do not exert any control whatsoever over the king of kings. Jesus is the long-awaited king, and with his coming, the kingdom of God is once and for all come near. But what we must do is we, we must not forget that the gospel of the kingdom is ultimately an announcement which is meant to result in a response. See, it's not just good enough for us to go, oh, man, you know, that's some really cool kingdom stuff he was talking about. Well, I've got some stuff in my head now that I know what to do. That's cool. I mean, gospel of the kingdom, I've never even heard that before. I'm glad you told me some things. Like, that's not the, that's not the purpose of Jesus showing up saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. I'll go out with, some, you know, with a fat head full of knowledge and do nothing with this. No, as one writer puts it, the gospel of God's kingdom is the announcement that life with God is available to all who would put their faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus against the serpent's kingdom, against government and corporate kingdoms, and against our own individual kingdoms stands the kingdom of God where Jesus is king. In his kingdom, what he wants done gets done. In his kingdom, life works the way he designed it to. His kingdom is not ruled by sin. His kingdom is not ruled by human greed or corruption. Rather, his kingdom is ruled by the one himself who turns back darkness, reverses the curse, and makes all things new. See, the good news of God's kingdom 
is that it is possible for sinners to find citizenship in God's kingdom. Jesus doesn't show up on the scene and go, listen, there's a kingdom, and I'm the king, and I'm sorry you're on the outside of it, and you have no hope of showing up, so hope you figure some things out. He doesn't say that. The good news of the gospel of the kingdom is that it is possible for those who are out to be in, for those who are lost to be found, for those who are spiritually dead to find spiritual life in the king himself. But the citizenship, it does not come as a result of what we have done or could ever do. Instead, what God demands for entrance into his kingdom, he actually provides in the king himself, Jesus Christ. See, none of us could ever live up to God's high standards in order to earn our way as citizens into his kingdom. But the good news, the announcement of the gospel that are on the lips of Christ in these verses is that this gift is available to us for free because Christ has done everything so we could enter into the kingdom. And since this is true, what it requires then is a response. And the way Jesus invites a response to the gospel of the kingdom is when he uses the two words at the end of verse 15. What are they? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. This is the response to the good news of the gospel. So the end of verse 15, in essence, is a call to respond to the king's invitation. Look what Jesus says again. Look at your, look at your scripture, copy of scripture. Jesus comes into Galilee. He's proclaiming the gospel of God. He makes a statement, two of them actually. The time is fulfilled. Fact, we're not waiting anymore. Fact number two, the kingdom of God is at hand with me on the scene. This is going. Therefore, because these two statements are true, because my earthly ministry has started, because of who I am as the Christ, the Son of God, the proper response is to repent and to believe in this gospel. See, the gospel of the kingdom is the good news that life with God is now available through Jesus Christ. And because the time is fulfilled in the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus says, listen, repent and believe the gospel. The essence, listen, the essence of genuine faith is this. Repentance and belief. Repentance and belief. So what does it mean to repent? It means this. To repent means to turn from something and to turn towards something else. Super simple definition. It means I was giving my allegiance to this, and now I'm going to turn from this. But repentance is not merely an act of turning from something. It's the twin act, turning from, turning to. That's what repentance is all about. So when Jesus says the proper response to the kingdom of God being proclaimed, the good news that you can have life with God through Jesus Christ, when Jesus calls us to repent, he's calling us to turn away from our rebellion to his kingship, to turn away from our petty personal kingdoms, to turn away from the puny pleasures of this world. And what he's calling us to turn toward is complete allegiance to his kingship. Repentance is a God-initiated transformation of our loyalties from an alliance with these smaller kingdoms to an alliance with Jesus, the one true king. 
And so since genuine faith is repentance and belief, we need to ask the questions, what does Jesus mean by believe? And I think the idea wrapped up with belief is this. Belief is just simply seeing, believing, and embracing who Jesus is. So it's seeing Christ and going, yes, I see who He is. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. I believe that these things are true, and I'm embracing them for who it is. This is why repentance and belief go together. To turn from Satan and his dark kingdom, what we're doing is saying, I'm turning from these things, and I'm turning and putting my belief into who Christ is, into all that He's done for us, and to all that He has accomplished, all that He promises to do. This is what belief is. Simply seeing, believing, and embracing who Jesus is, what He has done, and all that He promises to do. Repentance and belief is what happens when God works in the heart of a sinner. And when God does this work, He awakens this person to see their sin, and by God's Spirit, He empowers this person to turn from Satan and his dark kingdom and turn to the good news message of Christ Himself. Turn to Jesus Christ and His good news kingdom. In short, this is just the good news of the kingdom. That with the arrival of Jesus Christ, He is the one who not only restores and rules God's kingdom, but He is the one who provides access to God's kingdom. See, the kingdom is made available through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Entrance into the kingdom does not come by a multitude of paths. Entrance into the kingdom comes through the king himself. There is no other gate. There is no other way to enter in. If you look in your copy of Scripture and you zip all the way back up to Matthew or Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark says this, the beginning of the gospel. And so he's doing two bookends here. Jesus is going to show up proclaiming the gospel of God, and Mark says, listen, I'm going to tell you about the gospel of Jesus. And he calls Jesus Christ, Jesus the Son of God. See, the kingdom is made available through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Jesus is not just some average ordinary man. Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the hope and the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You go into the Old Testament, the common denominator of whether it's the sacrifices, whether it's the kings, whether it's the judges, whether it's the Psalms, whether it's the Proverbs, whether it's the prophets or the priests, it doesn't matter. The common denominator of the Old Testament is this. We need one who can come and show up on the scene and get things done. And so when Mark says, I'm going to give you the beginning of the good news, and it begins with a man named Jesus, and the first thing you need to know is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the fulfillment of everything that we find in the Old Testament. And not only is He the Christ, He's the Son of God. He is the one who can stand in the gap between sinful, rebellious man and holy, sinless God. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And because these two things are true of Him, what we use to define Christ and what He is and what He's done is with the word gospel. It's the good news that you and I can genuinely have life with God under the rule of God because of what Christ has done. And see, the reason why all of this is important, 
is because when you and I see the gospel of the kingdom for the good news that it is, it gives us new eyes to see the world around us. It gives us new eyes to see the world around us. We referenced this earlier, but you don't have to look hard. There is massive brokenness in our world. Yes? Like massive brokenness. Diseases, death, families, marriages, crumbling, divorce, cancer. People being ripped out of their homes in other countries. People dying. Massive brokenness in our world. And it's a brokenness that is directly related to sin. And the dark kingdom of Satan has people completely deceived. Has people deceived, they cling to the brokenness of this world, convinced that this brokenness is more precious than anything Jesus could offer. You bumped into that before? Going to your workplace or talk to your neighbor? They see this massive brokenness around us, but then when you mention Jesus Christ to the king, as the one who came to restore and usher in the kingdom of God, they almost laugh and would rather spit in your face thinking that Jesus Christ and the pleasures found in him pale in comparison to this brokenness. They love the brokenness, the darkness, more than the redemptive light and power found in Christ the King. They think it is absurd to abandon the things of this world and to sell out for Christ. And they fail to see that in Christ there is someone who is absolute good, who is God in the flesh, who promises to satisfy the aching and longing of their hearts in himself. As a citizen of the kingdom, you guys have this as a category. And what it's meant to do is inform how you go to work next week. So when you see personal conflict in the office space, when you see personal conflict between your boss or your supervisor, your manager, and your coworker, when you see personal conflict with your ink pen, who for the life of you won't write on anything because it seems to be eternally out of ink, when you have conflict when you come home with your children, when you have conflict when you come home with your spouse or whatever it might be, you have a category now for recognizing that all of this brokenness exists because of what Satan and his evil kingdom are trying to accomplish in the world. And as kingdoms, kingdom citizens, what you must recognize and piece together is this, is that we have a good news message. Just like kingdoms of old who would send out ambassadors carrying the message of the king, so we are part of a good news kingdom, and we are sent out as ambassadors with the good news message of Christ the king. I love how the apostle Paul was over this. There's two places in the Bible, in the New Testament, where it uses the word ambassador. Ephesians 6 and 2 Corinthians 5. And in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul wrote to them and said, Pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So he says this, I'm an ambassador. I'm an ambassador in chains. And what I want to do is I want to declare the good news of the gospel boldly. And I want to declare it in a way that I ought to speak 
because I want to do this because the mystery of the gospel needs to be proclaimed. And I want you to pray for me that words may be given to me so that I may actually open my mouth and point people to the good news of Christ the King. I want to be an ambassador. I want to be a herald. And I need you to pray for me so I can herald the good news to a world that is broken and in need of a Savior. In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you, therefore, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. How are your friends and neighbors and co-workers and family and siblings and all the people who exist in your sphere of influence, how are they going to be reconciled to God? This way, when you live as an ambassador, whereby God makes His appeal of Christ through you to people who are existing and all they know is broken brokenness, sin, death, and destruction. You are the ambassador that God has placed in their life so that they may know Christ the King. See, as kingdom citizens, we have the message that it is possible to have life with God under the rule of God for all who would turn from the rebellion and trust in King Jesus. So here's my question for you, and we're going to end with this. So, kingdom citizen, ambassador of Christ. Who are the people in your world who need to hear the gospel of the kingdom? You've got them. I've got them. This goes back to what Pastor Tom was praying for earlier. Who are the people that exist in your sphere of influence where all they know in their life is the absolute outright brokenness of Satan, sin, and death. And how are they going to be reconciled to God? The answer is you, as an ambassador of Christ, equipped with the good news message of the kingdom, God has deployed you to go and exist next week in such a way where through your words, through your actions, the way you think and the way you speak, to exist in such a way where you manifest the kingdom of God, Christ in you, to others, so that they may see that it is possible for them to have life with God under the rule of God, all through what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. Let's pray. God, you are the one who orchestrates all things for your glory. My prayer is that you, Father, would do a great and mighty work in us and through us. Father, give us eyes to see the world is broken and in desperate need of the good news of Christ. God, I pray that you would come in a mighty and powerful way. And what you would do is you would be the one who works in us and through us so that we may see Jesus more clearly and so that the world who needs Jesus would see Jesus in us. Help us to be ambassadors and heralds who proclaim Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
not yet.